This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Morning, New Life. Man, it is good to see you guys today. I am so excited that you're here. If you're new with us today, my name is Kevin. I'm going to be guiding us through the majority of our morning together. So I just want you to sit back, relax, and enjoy yourself. Our goal here is that we would knock down any barrier that would keep you from really knowing and experiencing God, not just in a way that changes uh, kind of your perception of the church, but in a way that actually changes your life. That's really what we're going for. We want your life to be changed and transformed by God. And so we try to do everything we can to open the door for you. When you came in, you should have gotten a program, and that just gives you a few ways to help connect with us. Inside the program, you have a card that says Start Here. Go ahead and grab that right now, if you would. Uh, That's our connection card. It helps us help you, really. It helps us help you connect with other people in the church, if you would like that. Uh, It helps us help you connect with the things we're doing around the city and around the world as we unleash compassion in Petaluma and in the world. And and ultimately, our goal as a church is we want to help you connect with God. And so this is a connection card so that when you're ready to connect with God, we have a way to contact you and connect with you and help you do just that. So go ahead and fill out that connection card. We'll have some things to do with it as the uh, morning goes on. The other thing you're going to want to get are our teaching notes. Uh, They will give you the Bible verses that I'm using today. Uh, They will give you some places to fill in the blank. They'll give you some space to just write down your own thoughts and your own notes so that uh, this isn't just a half hour uh, where you would learn something about God, but that this would actually continue into your life. So we invite you to take those notes home and and look at them and kind of pour over them, have conversations, discussions. What did you agree with? What did you disagree with? What do you still have questions about so that this can become just a regular part of of your life? Well, we are in week five of a series that we're calling Uncaged. And uncaged is really all about breaking out of some of the things that trap us, that encage us, that imprison us from fully experiencing and following God. And last week, it was so fun to have Pastor Ron back, and he was up on stage, and he was talking about breaking out of the cage of guilt. And if you missed last week, you need to go back and listen to the podcast, because this is really kind of a week two of what we talked about last week. This week, we're talking about failure about breaking out of a cage of failure. And I, I just want to ask you, because I would assume that I'm not the only one, but that we've all probably had times in our life that, that we look back and think that was a fail. Uh, either it was you tried a relationship and the relationship failed, you poured yourself into that person and, and they hurt you, they rejected you, and, and you failed in the relationship. Or you tried a new venture at work and you put yourself out there and you failed at work. Uh, or maybe you, you tried in a class, for those of you who are in school right now, you, you put your everything into it, or at least uh, two days before the test, you put your everything into it, you know, and, and you still failed. You still failed. I think we've all got those types of, of things in life, whether it's a failure that we do or something that happens to us. Maybe it's a tragedy that strikes in life, and it leaves you questioning, and it leaves you hurt, and it leaves you broken. Maybe you had a close friendship, and you thought you could pour your life into that friend, and only to find out that what you were telling them, they were telling everyone on Twitter or on Facebook, and, and you were hurt by that. And failure can trap us in so many ways. And failure, failure can leave us bitter and, and imprisoned into a cage of bitterness, bitter at a person or, or bitter at a thing, bitter at an organization. Um, failure can, can leave us trapped in fear, saying, if you've ever thought to yourself, you know what, I, I'm just never going to do that again. I just, I'll never give my heart again like that, or uh, I'll never stick my neck out at work 
again, because last time I stuck it out, it got chopped off. It leaves us with bitterness. It, it, it can leave us trapped in fear that keeps us from moving forward in life. Have you ever met one of those people who you can just tell life's beat them down, and they don't even know, know why they're angry or why they're sad. They just are. Oftentimes, it's because of a, a failure or a shipwreck or a painful circumstance. And so we're going we're gonna to get into that because if you, if you take that and then we add God into the equation, man, it just gets even more convoluted. Uh, because when you become a Jesus follower, some of us have this perception that, well, I, I committed my life to God, I became a follower of Jesus, and I'm expecting everything to kind of be, you know, unicorns and double rainbows from here on out. Like, it's just going to be perfect. And then I go a few days or weeks or months or years, and all of a sudden something happens, and I fail or I'm hurt or a tragedy strikes, and I think, I, I thought God was supposed to be good and loving and powerful, and if, he, if he's good and if he's loving and if he's powerful, then why did why did that happen to me? And so that bitterness that before you were a Jesus follower, you just kind of put on to everybody else, and that fear that before you were a Jesus follower, you just kind of kept inside, now it gets pushed to God, and it makes us pull back from really, really giving ourselves to Him and following after Him. And, and the whole goal of this series is that we would come to know God in such a way that we could, we could trust Him and we could follow Him. And I want you to be encouraged today that that the, the, the Christian walk, and if you're here today and you're brand new, and this whole Jesus thing, you're just checking it out. Maybe a, a friend brought you or your family brought you. I'm so glad you're here. And I just I want to tell you right up front, because I don't want to sell you a bill of goods. Being a Jesus follower, it's not always easy. It's not always easy. But it's always worth it. It's always worth it. And one of the things that I see over and over again in the Bible is I see men and women who, who God loves, and they truly love God. I mean, they, they love God and God loves them so much that over and over in the Bible, we see people who God actually literally speaks to them. They can hear God's voice. That's how much he loves them. And God would do things like send angels to talk to people. That's how much he loves them. And, and in the Bible, we see God doing miracles in people's lives and through them. That's how much he loves them. But those same people that God is speaking to, sending angels to, doing miracles in their lives, those same people have seasons in their life of shipwreck. And, and I'm actually really encouraged by that. And I don't know if you've ever stopped to think about this, but, but the fact that there are people in the Bible whose lives kind of are shipwrecks at certain times, it lets me know that I can trust the Bible. Here's why. Just kind of, I'm going to rabbit trail for a second. If you were going to make up a religion, and you were going to try to get people to follow a made-up God, and you were going to create a book that became kind of this made-up sacred text, wouldn't, wouldn't the story be, my life stunk, it was horrible, everything was bad, then I met God, and everything was perfect. We lived happily ever after. Wouldn't that be the story? If you wanted people to actually follow God, wouldn't, wouldn't that be the story? And yet the Bible's full of people who, who, who came to know God and, and then life got tough and life was still life, but God walked with them through it. And, and for me, that, that shows me that the Bible's true and the Bible's real because it doesn't gloss over the tough parts. It actually, it gets into it and it gives a reason for it and it explains it. And one of the guys whose lives... Um, was both transformed by God and then also went through shipwrecks. Is a guy named Paul. And if you've never heard of Paul, Paul wrote the majority of the New Testament of the Bible. Paul's a guy who grew up hating Christians, hating the church. He actually went around murdering Christians, dragging them out of church services, taking them to prison where they would be killed. But somewhere in that journey, Paul met Jesus. God loved him so much that Jesus actually appeared to Paul and he said, Paul, I'm going to use you, and I'm going to change your life. And he changed Paul, and Paul became a, a follower of Jesus. And Paul 
started planting churches. He was a pastor, and he'd go around, and he'd plant different churches, and he'd teach people, and he'd train people, and, and God loved Paul. God showed himself to Paul. God did miracles in Paul's life. But Paul, over the course of time, got into a time when, when failure hit him, when tragedy struck, and when he had both a, a metaphorical and a literal shipwreck in his life. And that's what I want to talk to you about today, because I want to, I want to look at Paul's life and look at his shipwreck and, and see what he did and how he got through it, because I think the way that he got through it is the way that God wants us to get through it. So here's Paul's story. He is following God, planning churches. God's using him to change lives. I mean, we're talking thousands of people's lives. And there's a group of Jewish people who don't like this. They're angry at Paul because he's telling uh, the world that the, the Jewish people killed Jesus, but that Jesus rose from the dead, that Jesus is, is forgiving sins and doing something new in the world, that, that God is not dead, but that he's alive. So these Jewish people have Paul arrested, and they beat him. And they, they, I mean, they beat him down. They take him within an inch of his life. And then they throw him in jail. And over the next two years, he's, he's locked in prison, and he goes to trial after trial after trial, where people lie about him, and they accuse him of things that aren't true, and they throw him in kind of a kangaroo court. And after two years of prison and trials and beatings, they put him on a ship, and they send him off to Rome, where he's going to stand before the emperor, kind of the supreme court of the day, and plead for his life. And this is where the story gets really interesting because he's on the ship with like 200 thieves. We're talking liars, cheats, beggars, murderers, just, just bad people. 200 of these guys on this boat with Paul. And all of a sudden, the boat hits a storm. And Paul tells the captain, hey, bud, pull over. I'm telling you, God told me, pull over. And the captain says, no, I think we're okay. We're going to make it through. Well, the storm gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and actually the boat runs aground And somehow, miraculously, God makes it so that every single prisoner and every single person on the boat gets off of the boat, gets to this island called Melita. And that's where we're going to pick up the story. So two years of prison, trials, beatings. Not exactly exactly the life that you signed up for when you say, I want to follow Jesus. And then he gets to this island. And this is where the story gets really exciting. So picture it's it's a stormy night. Storm is raging, thunder, lightning, rain, and Paul goes out to gather a pile of of brush of bushwood, brushwood, to put it into the fire. And a viper, a viper driven out by the heat, fastens itself to his hand. It attacks him. And when the islanders see this, that the snake is hanging from his hand, they said to each other, This must be a murderer. For even though he escaped the sea, the goddess justice, because these islanders believed in all sorts of gods and goddesses, the goddess justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire, and he suffered no ill effects. And the people expected him to swell up and suddenly fall over dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing that nothing unusual happened to him, they changed their minds, and they didn't think he was a murderer. Now they said he is a god. So this is the guy who's trying to spend his life telling everyone that there is a God and they're not it. And now all of a sudden they think, wow, you must be a God. My great-grandmother actually had a very similar story to this. And I've told some of you this before because her life is is kind of this crazy sitcom life. My great-grandmother was kind of uh, an outdoorsy type woman. And one day she was out hiking. This is the story that we're told. And she wrote down every day for like 70 years a journal of what happened that day. And one day she was out hiking, and a rattlesnake bit her. She, she got bit by a baby rattlesnake. And uh, she thought, well, there's no way I'm going to live. So she went inside. She wrote a letter saying, I got bit by a rattlesnake. When you find me, I'll be dead. This is why. 
she took a shot of brandy, and she went to bed for the night. True story. True story. And she woke up with a headache the next day. But other than that, she was fine. And we don't know. We don't know, you know, if the snake had just eaten something and its venom was gone, or if God just rescued her. And the same thing is true here. We don't know exactly why the viper didn't kill Paul. Maybe God miraculously saved him. Maybe the viper had just eaten something and it didn't have the poison it needed to kill him. But for whatever reason, Paul's still alive. Now, I want to ask you this. Just think about it. No one's raising your hand. You don't have to elbow anybody. But let's just be honest with ourselves here. Because we can read these stories and kind of disconnect ourselves. Let's just be honest. How many of you at this point, at this point, you just throw in the towel? You say, you know what? It's, I've tried. I tried to follow God. I tried to do what God said. Um, it started off pretty good. But, but geez, things are tough now. And I'm just going to throw in the towel I mean, let's be, uh, listen, on Time Change su- Sunday, sometimes some of you guys throw in the towel on time, time Change Sunday. So, and that's not even like, let's just be honest. Um, but if you're Paul, okay, you got to start thinking to yourself, either I didn't hear from God and I've failed, or God has failed, or some combination. So maybe, maybe we've both failed. Maybe we've all failed. And I wonder how many of us would, would just throw in the towel of our faith at this point, or at least— at the very least, we would get on Facebook and complain about how horrible our day was, right? At the very least, you know, feeling unhappy, feeling unloved. You know, I don't know what you would put, I, but I do, I read, so uh, I, I, you'd put something. But here's the, here's the, here's the thing that, that really strikes me about Paul. He doesn't give up. He doesn't give up. And, and Paul doesn't actually even complain, now think about that. It's one thing to say, okay, I'll still follow God, but man, I'm just going to be a bitter, angry, complaining person. Paul doesn't give up, and he doesn't complain, and he doesn't lose faith. And in the book of Romans, which Paul also wrote, it's a letter to a church in Rome, Paul tells us why. He tells us why he doesn't give up, why he doesn't complain, why he doesn't lose faith. And, and this is the key point that I want us to center in on today, because Paul knew something that if we knew it, it would reframe our tragedies. It would reframe our failures. It would reframe everything. Paul says this in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. He says, we know, we know, he's assuming that we know this to be a fact through our experience, through the experience of the community, through what God says in his word. He says, we, we know that in all things, I want you to circle or underline or star, whatever you do to make a note of that if you have notes right now. In all things, God works. And he works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, I want to give a quick note here. What it does not say is that God causes all things. God God, one of, the, one of the reasons we know this is God loves us so much. The Bible tells us that God wants to have a relationship with us where we love him back. And the only way to truly love is to give us free will, to love him and to love other people. And when we choose not to love him or love other people, um, brokenness happens, tragedy happens, failure happens. So it doesn't say that God causes all things. And that's a distinction there. There's a distinction there. Because sometimes we like to blame God for things that that maybe God didn't actually cause. But what we do know is this. Paul says, we know, we all know this to be true, that God in all things, in all things, God, he works for good, for my good and your good and for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his plan. I think if Paul was standing here with us today, he would, he would say this. Do you know why every shipwreck, every tragedy in my life, every uncertain time, do you know 
you know why I, I don't get discouraged? Do you know why I don't lose faith? Do you know why I'm not bitter and angry and cynical? Do you know why I just don't complain all the time? Because I believe that every, every failure is an opportunity in disguise for God to do something good. That in all things, I believe he's going to do something. That God is always at work, Paul would say. And he's always working it out for my good. He's always at work, and he's always working it out for my good. Even when it seems like he's not. I believe he is. You could say it this way. God's at work, and he'll work it out. If you don't hear anything else I say today, just hear that. God's at work, and he'll work it out. And sometimes it doesn't seem like he does. Sometimes we pray and we ask God to do things, and it seems like he doesn't move until 10 or 15 or 20 years later we see, oh yeah, God was at work, and he was working it out. Think about this. Those of you uh, who remember praying and praying when you were 17, that he would ask you to prom. Please, God, let him ask me to prom. And he didn't ask you to prom. And you were angry at God. You had to go with your big brother. And it was, it was tragic, okay? It was, it was really sad. And then you went to your 20-year high school reunion and you looked back and you saw the guy that you just prayed and prayed that God would allow him to ask you to prom. And you look at him now and he's, he showed up in a, you know, in, a, in a tank top with a spaghetti stain. You can't, you know, and it's like, oh. And what do you do? You drop down on your knees. You say, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> I didn't see you working then, but I know you were working now as I look back. That, see, sometimes we don't, we don't have the perspective to see if God is working, but the Bible says, and Paul says, I can tell you from experience and the experience of the people throughout the history of the church, God is always at work, and he'll work it out. I, I had a brief stint. You know that I wanted to be in a boy band for a long time. That was a big deal for me. But before my boy band's phase, that's the true story. I wouldn't lie to you. I don't know why you're laughing. There's a new boy band out, by the way. I don't know if you've seen this. They're, they're good. I mean, they're really good. But that's a whole other sermon. <laughs> Before I wanted to be in a boy band, I had a short step where I wanted to be an actor. I thought, I want to be an actor. I, I don't know why I did all I don't know. I don't know. But I got an audition for the movie Sandlot. Do you remember that movie Sandlot that came out? I have a twin brother. And if you remember Sandlot, there are two brothers that repeat each other. Okay, that was my brother and I auditioned for that movie. And, and here's the deal. We were horrible actors. I mean, bad. Really bad. That one of the things you like about me is that I don't act, that it just is just me. But when it comes to acting, I was bad. And I prayed and prayed that God would give me that part. I mean, I prayed, I, I, oh, that would be so awesome. Look at that, you know, for all the wrong reasons. And God didn't give me that part. And I was heartbroken. And then, like, a, a two weeks later, uh, or a little while later, we got offered to be extras in Terminator 2. I was like, well, obviously, if you're an extra in Terminator 2, that's going to catapult your career. So I really wanted to do that. And my mom and dad, in, the, in their wisdom, and I love my parents, and parents sometimes chalk this up to doing things that are best for your kids, even if they don't understand it. They said, you know what, no, that's a rated R movie, and the things in there are really just not what I want you to be associated with, so we're going to actually say no on your behalf. So then I was not only angry for the tragedy, angry at God, but angry at my parents. And then I look back, and I think God was working for my good, and he was using my parents to do it. Because just think, what if my career had taken off like all those other actors in Sandlot? You know, I, 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 I wouldn't be here today. God's at work always, all the time. God's at work and he'll work it out. In the midst of our tragedy, in the midst of our failure, in the midst of our, I don't know what's going on. Where are you, God? It feels like the walls are closing in on me. I feel trapped in this cage. God's at work and he'll work it out. 
And I want to give you some observations that I've seen throughout the Bible and through life about how God works it out. The first is this. God uses shipwrecks and failures to mature our faith. Whenever you and I walk through an uncertain time, through a failure caused by ourselves, caused by someone else, and we ask God to move on our behalf, and we don't see him moving, we don't see him working in the moment, and we choose to trust him anyway, God does a process of maturing our faith, of growing our faith, so that 16 years later, when you see him, your homecoming date that never happened, you see God's work. See, every time we, we, we trust God in the midst of failure, in the midst of not seeing how he's moving, he matures our faith. James, who was the half-brother of Jesus, who spent his life growing up with Jesus, he said it this way. He said, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, uncertainties, shipwrecks in life, whenever you have failures of many kinds, whenever you have trials of many kinds, consider it pure joy, not because the thing you're going through is, is fun. And I don't, I, I don't want to say consider it joy, brush off the emotion, don't worry about the heartache. That's fake Christianity. That's, that's kind of putting up a glossy wall. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying deal with the emotion, deal with the heartache, mourn the loss, engage with the failure, but consider it joy on a deep level. Here's why. Verse 3, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And this is a continuum. And let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. The testing of your faith produces perseverance, and perseverance has a a result that makes us mature in our faith and complete. God grows our faith through tragedy. God throws our faith through trial. Every time we, we ask God to move and we can't see it and we choose to trust him anyway, what God's doing is he's growing our faith because we know that he's always at work and he'll He'll work it out. Like I said in the very beginning of our time together this morning, following Jesus is not always easy, but it's always worth it. Another observation I've made is that when we know that God works it out, it gives us the freedom to try things and fail. One of the most freeing questions you can ask yourself, because we should be risk-takers, holy risk-takers, people who take risks when we sense God calling us. And one of the most freeing questions you can ask yourself is this. If you sense God inviting you to follow him in an uncertain area, in an uncharted area, to do something new with him and for him, one of the best questions you can ask is, what's the worst thing that could happen? And really think through it. What's the worst thing that could happen? Because anything short of the worst thing probably isn't so bad. And we know that if God's at work, even if the worst thing happens, God's going to work it out. What if you sense God calling you to a new job venture, to try something new, to step out of what's known and comfortable and easy and to take a risk with him? You say, well, what's the worst that could happen? Well, the worst that could happen is you try that new venture and it fails and you lose some money and you have to move in with your mother-in-law, you know, for a while, but you're not, you're not dead, okay? You have your family, you still have your health or whatever it is, and we know God's going to work it out. I had some friends who moved out here a number of years ago uh, from Alaska, and, and they're good friends. We were in small group together and life groups. We just shared life together, and they moved out here on an adventure with God to try something new because they sensed God moving them out here. And, 
And it's hard. It's expensive, more expensive to live here than it is in Alaska, and it's hard uh, to find work here, and they had a steady job in Alaska, and they tried it for a number of years, and in the end, um, it, it just wasn't viable to stay here long term. So they moved back to Alaska, and God's doing incredible stuff in their life now, and they had an adventure with God, and they had an incredible experience. What's the worst that could happen? When God's at work and he works it out, it frees us up to take risks with him. I'm finding this over and over again in my life. Listen, uh, I've been your lead pastor for about seven weeks now. I can tell you I've already made mistakes. It took me about a day and a half. And I can tell you this, we're going to try things over the next year or two, and some of them are going to be home runs, and God's going to use it, and, and it's just going to, it's going to grow us and help us to follow him more, and it's going to, we're going to reach more people in our city with the love of Jesus. And then we're going to try things, and they're going to bomb. They just are. And I never really felt the weight of that when Ron was the lead pastor, because he's always kind of over you, you know? So it's like, if it bombs, well, Ron's going to take the shot. But being that guy now, I feel that in a very real way. And so I was, real, I was wrestling with this. Man, knowing that God's at work and he's going to work it out, it gives me the freedom to try things and fail and know that what's the worst thing that could happen? It doesn't succeed. It fails. I look foolish. We look foolish. But God is still God. God is still going to move. What an incredibly freeing thing that is. And one of the last things that, that I was observing as I was thinking through this morning was that God can turn shipwrecks and failures into new opportunities. God's in the business of turning and transforming and changing what we think is our, one of our greatest failures into an incredible opportunity. You could say it this way, in the wake of some of your greatest shipwrecks, in the, weight of some of your, the wake of some of your greatest shipwrecks are some of the greatest opportunities that God has for you. That's what happened with Paul. Paul saw a shipwreck. He ended up on this island. But he didn't see just a shipwreck. He didn't see a viper bite. He didn't see beatings. He didn't see prison. Ultimately, by the way, he goes to Rome, and he, over the course of a few different trials, he is executed in Rome. But over that whole time, Paul never complains because he sees every, every shipwreck, every tragedy, every failure as an opportunity for God to do something new. And, and we see it in Acts 28. If we jump back into Acts 28 and verse 7, it says this, there was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, who was the chief official of the island. He was the Roman uh, official who was on this island. And he welcomed us into his home, and he showed us generous hospitality for three days. By the way, this is Paul's, one of his best friends who was on this trip with him, who's writing this whole story down. He says he showed us hospitality for, for three days, and his father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Ooh. Subtext. Emphasis added. And Paul went in to see him, and then after prayer, Paul placed his hands on the sick father-in-law, and he healed him. When this had happened, the rest of the sick from the island came and were cured. And these people in this island who had believed in all these different gods and goddesses came to know the power of the one true God, the living God, the God of the Bible. And they honored us in many ways. And when we were ready to sail, they, they furnished us with supplies that we needed. See, God can take our, our tragedies, our shipwrecks, our failures, even our worst failures, and in the wake of those failures, he can bring about something good, and he can use it, and he can create God, God-given opportunity for us. And for Paul, it went like this. Paul's number one mission in life was to pour his life out, to spend his life telling everyone he could about 
the incredible love of Jesus Christ, that God had, had changed him, had saved him, had healed him, had forgiven him, and that God could do that for every man, woman, and child in the world. And as he's sailing to Rome for a, a trial, which ultimately, after a little bit of time, would lead to an execution, he gets sidetracked, he gets shipwrecked on this island. And what does he do? He says, God, how can you use me to help people on this island come to know you? And that's exactly what God does. He heals the lead uh, official, kind of like the governor of the island. He heals his father-in-law. The people come. He heals them. And he says, do you know how you're healed? Because Jesus, who you've heard about, who was crucified and then three days later rose from the dead, that Jesus who is alive today has the power to heal and to forgive sins. And, and this whole community came to know Jesus. See, for, for Paul, and for us, as we follow after Jesus, those things that we say are our greatest failures, some of our greatest regrets, some of our biggest shipwrecks are actually quite possibly opportunities in disguise, opportunities for God to move and to lead us and to take us into whole new areas of life. I, I, I had, uh, I've had so many hopes and dreams in life. When I was in college, I dated a girl for two years, and I thought we were going to get married. We were both from Southern California. Uh, I thought we'd move back. I wanted to be a principal because my dad is a principal and he, he was just kind of my hero. I want to be like my dad. I want to be like Mike. I want to be a principal. He always told me principal is spelled P-A-L at the end because the principal is your pal. And I took that to heart. I was in the principal's office a lot. <laughs> he's my pal. I wanted to be like my dad. So I had it all set up. Junior year of college, I was, you know, we were going to get married. We were totally dysfunctional in this, in this relationship in college. I mean, totally dysfunctional. I yelled, she shut down, real bad stuff. But I thought, we're going to get married. We're going to have kids. They'll be dysfunctional. I'll be a principal. It'll be great. (laughs) She dumped me. By God's grace, she dumped me. Um, And that changed the trajectory. I didn't want to go to Southern California anymore. I wanted to stay as far away from her as I could, right? Uh, And I stayed here, and I got involved in, in a college ministry and did that for six years, and then got involved here at the church. And God took what I thought was a shipwreck, a failure, a tragedy. I mean, I cried myself to sleep for months. And by the way, if you're in college right now, um, I got my best grades after she dumped me that semester. It's like, what else are you going to do? So maybe that's your only good gift, the whole thing. I don't know. Maybe that's a word for you. I don't know. But he used what I thought was, was my greatest tragedy as a 20-year-old kid to become the mission of my life, the greatest opportunity. And he doesn't just do that for me. He wants to do it for you. He wants to do it now. The, the question is not, is God working? The question is, where is God working through this tragedy? And how is God working through this tragedy? And when we open our eyes to see that, it changes. It changes our life. Imagine, just for a few minutes as we close our time together, imagine what it would look like if we said with all certainty, like Paul says, God is at work and he will work it out. Imagine how that would change your life. Think about your career. Think about what you're doing right now, but you're sensing God is calling you to do something different. What if you just truly believed God's at work and he'll work it out? Even if it isn't easy, even if it doesn't make sense, he'll work it out somehow. God's at work, he'll work it out. What would you do? What dream would you follow? What career path would you chase? I'm not talking about, uh, you know, just being, being dumb for dumb's sake. I'm talking about following God in uncertain places because we know that he's at work and that he will, he will work it out. Think about your marriage for a second, if you're married here, or if you're dating. Think about the person you're dating. What would your relationship look like if you believed God was at work and he would work it out? Maybe, maybe God's, he's inviting you to love more sacrificially, to love your partner more sacrificially. 
and you're terrified of that because you know this. You know if you choose to love them more sacrificially and you choose to lay down your rights for their sake, they might not do the same for you. They might take advantage of you. They might hurt you. And ultimately, they might still leave. And so you're holding back right now. You're saying, I will not love you the way that God wants me to love you because I'm afraid. But what if you believed in your marriage that God's at work and he'll work it out and even if they don't respond to you, God's still gonna do something in your life? It would be incredibly freeing for your marriage. Think about ministry for a second. We believe that everyone who is a Jesus follower is called to to do ministry, to be in some capacity where they are helping other people's lives changed in some capacity. Maybe it's in the church, maybe it's outside of the church. I believe some of us are probably here and we, we believe that God has called us into something, some sort of ministry, something new, some venture, and yet we're terrified. We're terrified of the time that it's going to cost us if we really give ourselves to that. We're terrified that we don't know enough and we'll look foolish if we try to step out in that. We're, we're terrified that we don't know the first step or the next step or what to do and, and we're locked up and we're trapped. Because what if we fail? And I want to say this, what if, what if we just believe that God's at work and he's going to work it out in that in that ministry, and you can just take a step and try, and if you try and fail, that's okay. That's okay. I've tried ministry stuff and failed. Worship, I'm I'm a bad worship leader, but I did it for a year. I tried it, and I learned, I I learned that they're really good. It's okay. God's at work, and he'll work it out. And here's how I know that God's at work, and he'll work it out. See, some 2,000 years ago, and we're going to celebrate this coming up here in two weeks on Easter Sunday. Some 2,000 years ago, on that first, that first Easter, the people who knew Jesus the best believed that the greatest tragedy in the world had just taken place. They believed that the person who they thought was the Savior of the world had died and would stay dead. Because in fact, Jesus had died. He'd been crucified, nailed to a cross, and he was dead. And the people who knew him the best thought that that was the greatest tragedy in human history because they believed that he was dead and he would stay dead. But God took the greatest shipwreck in human history where where God himself was beaten beyond recognition, nailed to a cross, and killed And three days later, God raised Jesus from the dead. And when he raised him from the dead, he broke the power of sin. And if if you're new with us today, sin is simply this. It's, It's those thoughts and words and actions that are hurting you, that are hurting the people you love the most, and ultimately that are separating you from a perfect God who wants to know you and be in relationship with you. And when Jesus died on the cross and then God raised him from the dead, he broke the power of sin in our lives. He brought about the forgiveness of our sins and he took what looked at that time to be like the greatest tragedy in human history and he made it the greatest triumph the world has ever known. And if he can do that, he can take your tragedy, your failure, your shipwreck, he can make it into an incredible triumph because God's at work and he'll work it out. And if you're here today and you've never said yes to Jesus, in just a minute, I'm going to pray. And I'm going to give you a chance to enter into a relationship with a creator God who knows you and who loves you and who has forgiven you of your sin if you would simply call out to him. And we're going to pray and I'm going to give you a chance to make a prayer of commitment where you would simply say, God, I want to transfer my trust from myself and my way of doing it. And I want to put my trust in you. And when you do that, the Bible says that 
that God forgives you of your sin and he fills you with his spirit and he shows you what it looks like to walk every day from this day on for the rest of your life and he creates a space for you in eternity with him. And then after I pray, uh, our guest services team is going to be passing out communion. And on communion, uh, when, the bas- when the trays are passed, it will be a piece of bread, which Jesus says represents his body, which was given for us. And then a, a cup of juice, which Jesus says represents his blood, poured out for the forgiveness of our sins so that we can walk with God, so we can know God and be with him. I want us to take the bread and take the juice, and then we're going to stand together and worship a God who has taken the greatest tragedy and made it into the greatest triumph. Would you join me as we pray? If you're here today and you're ready to give your life over to Jesus, to say yes to him, to commit yourself to him in a real, personal, intimate way, and if you've never done that, today is your day. And, and I want you to know God couldn't love you more than he does right now, and he's inviting you to himself. So you can pray. Just pray the simple prayer with me as your act of committing yourself to Jesus. You can say this. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you love me and that you love me so much that you, that you came to this earth and that you gave your life on a cross to pay the penalty that my sin deserved. And today I say yes. Yes, I want the forgiveness that you're offering to me. Yes, I want, I want you, and I want to have a relationship with you. So would you come into my life? Would you forgive me of my sin? Would you fill me with your spirit? And would you show me what it looks like to walk every day from this day forward into eternity? pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.